0: Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 1335.
1: We always have the opportunity to excel.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. I'm revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Eric LeClaire. But I like to call him Spook, just like all of his friends. We're going to learn about that in a minute. Hey, Spook, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: In a three-point harness with about 200 horsepower and a 1,700-pound car.
0: Whoa, here we go. Eric Spook LeClaire is what happens when you cross an engineer with an artist. A vintage steel restoration guru with a passion for paint, Spook dreamed of air-cooled customs long before opening the shop, located in Hazel Green, in 2004. The mastermind behind the proprietary processes that yield dark side dubs that Volkswagen and Porsche enthusiasts drool about. Spook doesn't do anything halfway. Raised in California and transplanted to Alabama, he doesn't exactly blend in, but he's a very adaptable fellow. We're also going to talk about a new book that he has out right now, titled How to Restore your Volkswagen Beetle. Where were you back when I was in high school trying to restore my sister's car? So Spook, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your business and a very obvious passion that you have for automobiles?
1: Thanks very much for having me on your show. I very much enjoy it. Hope your listeners can actually get a little bit of of what we do and how we do it. And it, it's it's definitely a passion. It's not something that you wake up every day dreading to go to work. I mean, you know, Mondays for me are just another day, just like another Saturday or a Sunday. If I've got something to paint or something metal to beat on or something to create, I'm I'm out there doing it. So, you know, I don't live Monday through Friday just working for the weekends. The only way I actually know what day it is on any given day is by which staff members are in. So it, it it's kind of odd. You know, I know if I've got this many staff members on or these people are in on this day, I said, oh, it must be Tuesday or, you know, something like that. It's definitely, you know, if you can pursue your passions and get paid
0: to do it and do it. Absolutely. Well, that's what Cars yeah is all about. Inspiring automotive enthusiasts, people who've wrapped their passion for cars, trucks and bikes into their lives and careers. You've discovered the secret sauce of life, just like the past. 1,334 people here on Carshare before you. So we're going to learn a lot more about you and what you're doing there as we continue on your journey. But first, I want to start with a success quote or a mantra that's a nice way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Carshare. So, Spook, take the wheel.
1: There's a couple of them I've got. I think the primary one is we always have the opportunity to excel. And what we mean by that is any mistake, issue, problem, puzzle, um, and that's mainly how I look at what we're doing on diagnostic work is puzzles you know what's the what's the problem here? How do we fix it? How do we get around it? You always have the opportunity to excel. The second one I've got, and i and I stick pretty close to is you can beat procrastination with time travel, and that's a that's ah. a that's <laughs> a rough one for a lot of people to get their brains wrapped around.
0: yeah, you need uh, to help me with this one a little bit
1: well, if you ever find yourself procrastinating on something. It's not necessary that you don't want to do it. You just haven't figured out how you can do it. You haven't figured out the process. You haven't figured out and you're, it makes you very uncomfortable. And if you're not going towards your uncomfortable zone, you're never going to grow. You're also going to spend all that time worrying about something you haven't done yet or how you're going to do it. So instead of worrying about it, dive right in, go do it and you're going to end up losing track of time. You know, there's, there's a reason in Vegas that there's no clocks and it's because they want you to spend more money, but. That same logic actually applies within the shop. We don't have clocks in the shop. There's no in and out. uh, There's no time clocks. There's no wall clocks. You know, there's none of that. In fact, my own personal house, there are no clocks in my house. There's an internal thing. So it's like if you see yourself watching at the clock, and the only time that I mean, I have to set alarms to do interviews, or client meetings or stuff like that on my phone, which is a blessing. But other than that, I you know I eat when I'm hungry. I go to bed when I'm tired. You know I have a beer when I'm thirsty. I go out and ride my car when I need to go ride my car. You know it's it it it's kind of one of those I don't dictate myself to a clock any longer. I I just I I refuse to do that. So those are my two main mantras. I've got a couple smaller ones that we'll get into later, but those are my two main ones. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I like them. You know, it's funny because uh, when I've gone on vacations, one of my rules is to not have a watch or a clock. Now, I stopped wearing a watch a long time ago just because, I don't know, I just felt like I didn't need it anymore. But I love the fact that when you're on vacation, you don't have to worry about time. But you figured out how to, in a way, be on vacation all day, every day, all week. Pretty
1: much, yeah. I mean, I still got to do some stuff. And, you know, there's some clients that I really don't like dealing with. or I, I have a hard time, and I kind of dread that. But, you know, that gets back to that time travel and procrastination. You know, instead of instead of like really worrying about it and getting my own internals into an uproar, and then just going ahead and dealing, and everything's going to be fine. Just you know, dealing with it and come with May and and go from there.
0: There you go. Nice way to go through life. Well, I want you to share a story that instigated your personal passion with cars. Is there a pivotal moment in your life when you knew that you were indeed a car guy?
1: I can actually trace this back to before I can remember. So when I'm the eldest of six biological children, I'm sorry, five biological children, six total in our clan. And being the eldest, my sister was about 18 months behind me, um, which was the second child. But by that time, I was already playing with toys and stuff like that. My mom tells me even to this day, back when I was a kid, I would want to go play with my Volkswagens, trucks and cars in that order. (laughs)
0: nice (laughs) and
1: and my dad was actually in the amateur radio when i was growing up so he would build radios and stuff like that and to me the process of taking a pile of parts and putting it together was just fascinating you know how do you make an inanimate object work like it's supposed to so i think the first time i really got into a car and my dad is not a car guy you know he appreciates them but he's he's just not a car guy he had this chevy van that that we had gotten before we had gotten our first Volkswagen. I was probably about five, so I was insisting going out and wash it. And I wanted that thing so clean to the point where I was actually washing the inside of the muffler. And my dad was, you know, kind of yeah, a little bit mad at me. And the next time, I actually took apart part of the dash on a VW van that we had bought in the next year just to see how something worked. And, you know, I got something fixed, and I was probably about six, and I had fixed an ignition switch, and I didn't even know it. It's kind of one of those things that, they're like, it, it's been in, you know, it's been part of my hobby, part of my my being for so long that I can't remember not being a car guy. You know, I built my first Volkswagen by the time I was 13 years old and sold it. So, and I was building suspensions for these cars before I even turned 16. It's like, you know, I did the normal job thing, you know, and kept and maintained as a hobby. But for the most part, you know, when I get off work, that's where I went. I went into the garage. You know, yeah, both yeah. both of my sons growing up spent a lot of time with
0: their eyes with me. Well, there's where we all started. Well, I would like to talk about a big challenge or even a failure you face. More importantly, after you tell me about that situation, what did you learn from it? So kind of walk us through that situation and tell us how that experience helped you gain even more momentum as you move forward in your career and your business and your life.
1: Well, um, I've been actually struggling with that one since you asked the original question in the in the interview sheet. And being, that I'm fairly happy-go-lucky guy. You know, I really haven't had any big challenges in my life, other than good friends, you know, going to heaven. I had a, a business partner and manager of the shop that died about two and a half years ago, and, and that's quite all right. He was in poor health and had a lot of system failures, but he was basically my brother. I helped, you know, his kids. I have watched his kids grow up. I would go to their school, you know. I was on the list for the local school that. If there was a problem, couldn't get a hold of dad, get a hold of, of their uncle. So him and I were very, very, very close. And after he passed, there were a lot of stuff within the business side that he was handling that wasn't quite what I wanted. So we had to go and do a lot of fixes and some of it. He was promising product to clients at a below market value or less than what we could actually charge to do it. That became very apparent about the second year into it. And so that challenge of taking back over the business side, because most of the time, I would actually do the vision of the company, I do the marketing, I do the pain, I do the body, you know, I do the stuff that I'm really good at. Um, and I would leave all the other stuff to to people who are really good at what they do, because I always want people to work in their strengths. I never want somebody to work in their weaknesses. So with that philosophy, I learned a few things that sometimes you really have to do the sucky stuff in business in order to succeed. And I've gotten better <laughs> yeah. at it. Um, I'm I'm not really good at talking with clients or at least I didn't used to be, you know, I kind of a joke. I am the world's worst salesman. I'm not going to sell you anything. Uh, I'm here to provide a need. You know, if we can help you out, I'm more than happy to, to build a car for you. If you and I get along, if you and I don't get along, I will not be working for you. See, it's that simple, but with him passing and me having to take over the sucky side, That really has helped me excel within this last couple of years, just in the growth of the company and and my own personal growth. Because all all of a sudden I had had to be the salesman, I had to be the face of the company, I had to be—you know—I couldn't be the obnoxious, you know, six-foot-three white guy in the middle of Alabama that's named Spook. You know, there's no filter, there's no harm, is, is, is what my company, my staff tells me. There's no internal filter inside of my brain. I will say things. That people really shouldn't say or ask questions, but everybody's thinking it. But I don't see anything wrong with it, and until I see like jaws drop, so you, you know, <laughs> oh there's gosh. never, yeah, th- yeah there's never that. any malice behind anything I say ever.
0: Yeah, just it, direct, it, blunt.
1: It, yeah, it, it, it's part of the way I'm wired. But in losing such a valuable team member, it got me to the grass of doing the sucky stuff and yeah. getting pr- pretty decent at it. It's like you know, I'm not great at it, but I can do it. So that was a pretty big challenge, and then right after that, I went through a, a low-level depression, and in, like it just and was it because it, of that
0: loss of your friend?
1: I was part of that, but it, you know, part of it was it was like I just wasn't sure if I wanted to continue doing this. You know, because I I'd, I'd been doing this professionally for almost fourteen years, thirteen years at that point. It starts to wear on you after a while. So I went through this period of about six months where. I would, you know, come in, show up, do my gig, but I really wasn't, I I really wasn't myself. I was very, very thankful to have the staff that I've got that helped me through this. And I've always been really upfront and honest with these people. I mean, most of them are my friends. So it's like we kind of say we have staff members. We don't have employees. Um, We don't have um, customers. We've got clients. There's a difference. There's a relationship there. So with, my staff—they were gracious enough to help me through a lot of this, and, and it, it also told me who had my back and who you could trust. Because it's like you know, you, you want to trust everybody, but not everybody is your friend. That—that that was kind of the, one of the biggest growth cycles that I saw. We actually increased our bookings probably fifty percent over last year. This year, you know, we're approaching a million dollar cap for the company at this point. Nice. Well, no, so not bad yeah. for a restoration company.
0: No, not bad at all. Well, I appreciate you taking us there through a really challenging time. Uh, le- certainly you learned an awful lot of things and there's some things and lessons there we can share with others listening out there about businesses. If you've got a business partner, you know, find out exactly what they're up to, what they're doing. And I always say, and I ran a, a large company with a hundred people in it and I used to have a saying, what if he got hit by a bus? What will we do tomorrow? Meaning if you put too much reliance on one individual within a company and you lost that person the next day, what effect would that have? Do you have anything in place to protect yourself from that in some capacity? And I know it's impossible to do all the time, especially with the uh, small company but it's important at least to know what they're doing and where things are and where you can well, find them so uh, and
1: then but then also part of that takeaway is everybody has to be replaceable even though you never want to replace anybody including the company founder and the CEO and it's like i've already come to the realization i'm replaceable you know the company will change at some point you know i'm not going to live forever but you know people need to remember that even following their passion and stuff At some point, you're going to die. You better have an exit strategy. Otherwise, you know, you got other stuff that you need to deal with.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And have things in place to help those around you, your loved ones, and so forth. All those things, wills and where things are located. And we learn this when we start to lose friends and family when they don't have things in order and how difficult it is for your friends and family to figure everything out. So take the time to do that.
1: And I don't mean to go dark on it, but, I mean, you know, that was my biggest challenge and it had to do with with that, is, you know, yeah. relying on someone else and then losing that that very valuable person.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you taking us there. Let's go to somewhere a little more bright and sunny and talk about your first really special vehicle and maybe a memory you have about that ride.
1: Oh, Lord. It would probably be the first vehicle I ever owned, which was a 1971 Yamaha Enduro. Oh, and, cool. And, and it was, you know, air cooled two stroke. And yeah. I lived out, I lived out in the country, uh, and went to school in town. And so about two miles in, bought it with paper route money. Not that anybody does a paper route anymore. <laughs> yeah. I have and, one of those. <laughs> and, and barely kept that thing running. And I think the reason that I, that I love it so much is just because of that freedom, of uh, just getting on your bike and going currently, you know, I actually have people ask me, it's like, what's the favorite car you've ever built? That's actually one that really I get asked a lot. And my answer is always the same. The next one that I'm building. So I'm one of these people that I'll build it in my head before anything happens. So it's in my head. It's done. And I just got to put it in a 3D. So that
0: was like a a 175? Yeah, a little 175. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember those bikes. I rode one of those bikes. They're cool.
1: I enjoyed it, you know. It's street legal. We could run from the cops, and you know, being well, my dad, my dad was a cop, so I couldn't run really too far. They no, you I couldn't was. run
0: too far. <laughs> there was always a cop at home. <laughs> <all. laughs>
1: so you know, that was probably my favorite. My second probably favorite car, and this is my adult favorite car, it was probably a, a 1977 Jeep Cherokee three door. Oh, so three door. Yeah, so it had the two front doors, and then it had the rear door, and that was it. At It had that Interesting. black glass, and, and yeah, it, yeah. Wasn't, it wasn't a Wagoneer. It was a Cherokee, so full-time four-wheel drive. That thing would move a house, climb a tree at 80 miles an hour, rusted piece of stuff. I couldn't get gas in it for, to save me because the vent tube had gone bad. Occasionally, one of the power steering lines would crystallize, so I only have power steering on one side, but... As far as a beater truck, that's one I really would—I like, wish I would have kept. I mean, you know, you could see it was a Fred Flintstone mobile too, but
0: it had some it, holes in the floor.
1: Oh yeah, it's like—but I, I could do anything with that car. But I didn't have to worry about the you know scratching it or anything. It was just, yeah, and it went forever. So those yeah. have got to be my two favorite cars um, from my youth.
0: Yeah, I love it. Yeah, the that Jeep Cherokee three door uh kind of you know old SUV basically, but the fact that it just had two doors, it was kind of a coupe but it was still a wagon style, uh, yeah. made it very, very cool. How about Sellers Remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go in your life that you really wish you'd kept?
1: Um, the first VW van that was ever given to me, it was actually given to me by my uncle and aunt, and we had grown up with that van. It was a 1972 tin top, and it had a 2275 engine. And if you don't know anything about VWs, that's in CCs. Originally, that bus came with, a 1500 or 1600 cc motor so we about doubled the horsepower on that motor and i'd gotten to a point in my life where i was just kind of getting like, getting kind of tired of building cars and maintaining old ones and it's like i ended up buying a, a, a newer vehicle off a lot worst thing i ever did and oh god never buy a new vehicle ever 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 but I ended up selling it on a website that's actually still around now, the Samba.com. It's a little bit of a plug oh, yeah. for you UV, VW guys. Um, yeah, I love
0: the Samba. It's cool.
1: Yeah. If you see a guy named Elder Spook on the, on the boards, that's me. That's so, you. Yeah. Uh, that's me. I ended up putting it up on the Samba and I sold it for I mean, four or five grand, which is probably the cost of the engine at this point. And it went up to Alaska. I have never been able to find that car since. I have actually put out, you know, I have friends in Alaska. It's like there's VW spotting sites now, but I have yet. If I could find that '72 again, I would buy it back, drive go up there, and then you know, haul it back here. That's one I really wish I would have kept. Probably the other one I really wish I kept was a 1964 Newport four-door post hardtop. So uh, it's like I'm a that type of car guy. It's like you know, I also I've had a belt. I had a '67 Belvedere two was a land yacht but I loved it. And then the mid 80s, I had a mid 80s Buick Riviera, small engine, but had like bluer interior and I just loved it. So, you know, there's there's a couple cars that, that, that I've, I've had over the years that I really wish I kept, but those have got to be my top three.
0: Yeah, they sound like cool ones. Well, I want to talk a little bit about what has you excited and fired up right now with your business, Air Cooled Customs, but also uh, touch real quickly on this new book that you've done, you've sent me a copy, which is really cool. I'm going to do a book giveaway from one of my subscription uh, followers here. So if you haven't subscribed to me on CarsYeah.com, go there, click on the free book button. I'll send you my free filler-up book. The book is titled How to Restore Your Volkswagen Beetle. So what prompted you to write a book?
1: Well, we were actually approached by the publisher, which is CarTech. Um, yep, fairly- friends at
0: CarTech, great yep. people.
1: Good people. Yeah, one of their editors contacted us with the opportunity to go ahead and, and write the book. And my chief content officer is actually a writer by trade, so she works for me part time, or works for the company part time, but she also maintains, you know, her own writing career. And she's quite successful. And you know, she kind of looked at it, and she goes, "Do you have a whole bunch of pictures?" And I said, "You know I've got a whole bunch of pictures." She goes, "Well, I've got some words. You don't mind being grilled?" And I <laughs> says, "I don't mind being grilled." After we wrote the book, we had submitted everything and those of you who have done books know if you're working with an editor, you've got timelines, you've got word counts, you've got page counts, you've got photographic counts, you've got I mean, there's a whole set of parameters that you've got to do in a block of time. So I think ours was split up into quarters and we went ahead and did did all that in quarters. So we got down to the last one. They were sending us checks. We were doing just fine. You know, a few changes here and there from the editor, so we thought we were good and golden. Got down to the last submission, and I guess then the editor actually read the rest of the book. Needless to say, we actually had to rewrite the book again.
0: Oh no. Oh no. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch.
1: So we actually wrote this book twice. So um Wow. What, well that means it's
0: really good. <laughs> it is really
1: good. In fact, the yeah. the copy you're gonna be giving away from one of your subscribers is actually an autographed copy. And it's, yep. a first, it's a first edition. There you so go. It's an autographed cool. by myself and Miss Anderson, uh, yep. who are the two primary authors on it. And somebody asked me, it's like, would you write another book? I kind of thought about it. And then about a week later, CarTech again offers us another book. And nice. I says, well, what's the subject? And he says, well, we want to do one on buses. and I'm sorry. We don't have any buses in schedule. It takes us about a year to do a, a, a vehicle. And since we're photographing as we go. Yeah. I've got to work off of that stuff. So we'll let you know when the, when the, when a bus comes in. And I said, okay, no problem. Two weeks go by. I don't think too much of it. The editors contact us again. Do you want to do another book? And I said, well, we don't have a bus yet. He said, no, we want to do one on a customization of a VW because there's nothing like that on the market. And I went, okay, that can be kind of cool. So, so we're, we're about a quarter of the way through that book and that should actually be released next year. And on the bus, books should be the year after that.
0: Nice. Very nice. Well, I had Wes Eisenchenk, who was at uh, CarTech Books. He was the acquisitions editor back in uh, 2017.
1: That's our editor.
0: Yeah. Okay. There you go. He's been a guest Wes on our, our show. <laughs> there, there you go. So, yeah, you can go back and watch or listen to, I should, should say, his show. I was starting to think about my TV show here. You can't watch podcasts. You can watch Cars Yet TV. Uh, he was guest number 773. But, again, I'm going to remind you listeners, that one lucky subscriber to the Cars website's yeah! website is going to win a copy of this autographed copy of this book, so I'll send it out to you. So uh, just go to com, click on the free book button, and it will be there for you. Very exciting, very cool stuff. Well, Spook, up next is the last lap. Before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars yeah! sponsors. Hey, Cars yeah! I'm a huge fan of Covercraft. I've protected my vehicles with their products for decades. Their seat gloves are semi-custom fit for cars and trucks, and their seat savers, a favorite of mine, are custom tailored to fit your seats like a glove. Work truck seat covers are tough, durable, denim-weight fabric. It's like putting a pair of rugged jeans on your truck's seats. Want to stay warm? Covercraft also offers seat heaters. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at Covercraft.com and tell them Mark at Cars yeah sent you. That's Covercraft.com. at carsyeah.com. Hey, Mark Green here from Cars Yeah. Did you know you can now see me on the Carsia yeah! TV show, it's a weekly visit to some of my past Carsia yeah! podcast guests, and I take you along for the ride. You go behind the garage door and into their lives, their businesses, and you get to see what makes them successful. With tens of millions of viewers, Carsia yeah! TV is making its mark. Carsia yeah! TV is available on MAV TV and Lucas Oil Racing TV. You'll find MAV TV on Direct TV, Fubo TV, FiOS by Verizon, or you can stream it through lucas oil racing television online and they said i only had a face for podcasting all right spook we're back and i have a very introspective question for you but before i I ask you this well be yeah well i'm gonna put you on the analyst couch but i tell you what before i ask you where the heck did you get the name spook oh
1: lord i've actually gotten that nickname three times in my life from three different geographical locations from three different subsectors of the culture. If that makes any sense, yes. And I have a feeling it has something to do with just because I'm, you know, I'm I, I'm not quite your normal dude. You know, I'm a little <laughs> off. I'm a bit of a character from what I've been told. Okay. <laughs> um, first time around, I actually grew up in California, as, mm-hmm. as you mentioned, and in California, was a very diverse area. I grew up in the Bay Area primarily, I was born in Southern California, but then my father being in the Navy, we went up into the Bay Area so he could work at Mary Island when they were decommissioning that. So us being in Vallejo, I had a group of friends that were black, white, Hispanic. Well, I think back then they were Latino. I don't know what the correct is anymore. We had some Vietnamese people, and so I ran with a very diverse group, and it didn't really matter. Everybody was friends. We were all jumping, you know, jumping BMX vices over each other's head, and you know, all of those dangerous <laughs> stuff that you're not supposed to be doing. So, we had a a new group of kids that came in on the next next year, a group of of uh, African American kids had come in and you know just trying to bolster their own little thing up and it was known that my father was a a police officer so they thought that they could kind of bully me a little bit and so they said hey we'll call the white kid spook they thought it was absolutely hilarious you know go ahead and flip flip around derogatory comment that some they had been called when i guess they came from philadelphia they were called spooks or something and i went home and and i was really broken up about it and my dad actually pulled me aside and says you know It's that's more on them, but if you own it, they can't damage you with it, and it's like that that stuck with me for a long time, so it's just like I own that, so no longer could that be used against me, you know, or to hurt me. And then the the second time in my life, um, I was up in the Dakotas and I was uh, a lead framer and carpentry guy for a fairly large construction firm, and we had a bunch of Lakotan. Workers out there, and I I have this unique visual perception that I can see stuff in 3D before it's there, and so I get a set of blueprints out and I said, okay, boom, 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 and I don't know if you know anything about construction or anything like that, or if your listeners do or even care, but I'm one of these guys that you give me a set of measurements between the top of the roof and where the wall sits, and then tell me, you know, and then I'll figure out pitch the roof, I'll do the cuts on the ground, you just kick them up. And the guys are kind of looking at me like there's no calculator involved, there's no tape measure involved. I'm literally doing calculations in my head. Being a dyslexic, it's kind of interesting. I'll you know screw up once in a while, but for the most part, I'll get it right. You know, and and so I was looking down a wall one time on on an apartment complex that we were doing, and I says, "Okay, go down 15 feet, go to the second stud, you're out of 16th there, make a mark." And I did this, you know, just doing the line visual. And this old guy, he must have been in his 70s, kind of looked at me and. All of the guys after that ended up calling me Spook. And then the third time is when I actually retired to come do this, to come to the shop. I can see things that aren't there yet, if that makes any sense, or if something's missing or something's not quite right. And so one of my first employees who didn't know me as Spook just started calling me Spook. Um he says, because what you do is just really, really spooky. You know, I figured after three times in my life, We might as well make a go of it. And now I would actually bet most of the people who know me within the VW community and within the car community don't know me as Eric. They know me as Spook. It's just one of those things that it's a great marketing nomenclature because are you going to remember a Volkswagen restorer in the middle of Alabama named Eric? (laughs) <laughs> or, gotcha. or are you going to remember a guy named Spook in the middle of Alabama that does VWs and
0: Porsches? Of so. course, we'll always <laughs> remember Spook. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Very cool. Well, let's get back to my original question. That is yeah. a very introspective one. If you were a vehicle, if you woke up tomorrow as a vehicle, what would Spook be and why?
1: Oh my word! <sighs> probably. Oh, that's that's a tough one. If I were to be a vehicle, probably a heavy. Hauler on airbags,
0: and why hauler on airbags? No, heavy hauler, so oh, hauler. Like a, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like
1: a like a, a rollback.
0: Okay. Um, it, with a nineteen
1: fifty forty nine through fifty five Chevy GMC cab, you know, big Cummings turbo diesel in it, and it lays frame. You know, rusty and crusty on the outside. Most of the internals are working good, and it looks cool as hell. You whether it's flying down the road or sitting on a car ship,
0: <laughs> very nice. Nice answer. I knew i get something creative from you on that one. Very cool. All right, Spook, we are entering the last lap. I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of that heavy holler throttle. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, finesse, not force.
0: I like that. Will you share one of your personal habits you believe has contributed to your many successes? Consistency. Tenacity, consistency, persistence. All keys I've heard over and over here. It's all the same thing. All the same thing when it comes to entrepreneurship. I love it. Now, how about a resource? There are some great resources these days. Would you recommend one to me? Um, Well, besides your podcast and television show. (laughs) Well, thank uh, you.
1: Probably you got to do that one. Well, thanks. Probably, you know, within the VW community, I'm actually going to suggest the Samba. The owner over there at Everett, it's an old PPS board that's like not flashy and kind of old and out of date. But it's got, you know, it's got some of the best resources that I've ever seen for a VW community and Porsche community. Yeah, it's a great uh, one. That would be one that, you know, that that and, and then the original how to keep how to keep your VW alive forever the mirror book, that would be the yes. other resource.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Great resources, absolutely. Now, if I could arrange for you to sit down and have a drink with anyone in the automotive industry living or deceased, who would that be? Oh, Henry Ford. You know, that's the most common answer to that question. I know why because I mean, you just think about what that guy pulled off back in the day. I mean, he didn't even have electricity. He had to go build his own Power plant to to run his facility. Pretty incredible.
1: Well, he also was the ultimate recycler. He took the boxes and the crates of the parts that were coming from the Dodge Brothers and then built them into the car. And then any of scrap went into charcoal production, which is where now you have charcoal. So it's just like that entrepreneurship. um, Either that or Tesla, but I don't think he was a car guy.
0: And how about a book? Obviously, your new book, How to Restore Your Volkswagen Beetle. Which is an awesome new book uh, by Par Is there another book you'd like to recommend?
1: Um, yes and no. There, it's it's more philosophy than, and, and okay. it's not even philosophy. It's a story. Um, Anne Rant. Um, you oh. know, I know that. Yeah, yeah every, yeah. every time I read that book, and she's got many books, but we both know which one we're talking about. Um, her most popular one that did a movie not too long ago, "For the Life of Me." Forgetting what the the title is, it but uh, oh, Alice Shrugged. And the, then the reason is is because every time I read it, I pick up something different in it. It's like a different book every couple of years, and it touches on different things depending on the philosophy of your own brain and your own learning and how much you're willing to accept and or learn. So it changes as as you go. And then and then the second one, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, <laughs> yeah, the the entire different. series. Answer of 42, it, that's a way deeper number than a lot of people even understand. And I'm not a numerology guy. I just, you know, it yeah. it, it, it it's one of my favorite for a relaxing book.
0: Did you uh, read Iain Rand's The Fountainhead yep. and Atlas Shrugged? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Yeah. Red yeah. Both. Great books. Yeah. Absolutely fantastic. All right. We are up to the checkered flag here. And this last question can be a bit of a doozy. Today, I'm going to buy you. Any cool collector car on the planet, doesn't matter where it is or who it belongs to, I'm going to park it in your garage, but there are some rules to this game that make it a little bit of a challenge. Still probably expensive for me, but still a little bit of a challenge for you. You can't sell it to buy a bunch of other toys with. You have to drive it. No garage queens allowed here at Cars Yeah, but it's the only collector car you can own. So choose wisely, my friend. 356A. (laughs) Oh, you figured it out already. So we're talking about a Porsche, obviously.
1: Early, early, early Porsche. Yeah. Do you want, is first, it going first, back
0: to like a bent window? Yeah, well, yeah, it's
1: actually, the, the pre are the ones I really love. They they came out okay. with 40 horsepower engines, and yeah. this, is, this is before they really got into high horsepower, but this was like, mm-hmm. that's the ultimate collector car for me, I think.
0: Yeah, they're beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Wow. Well, yeah, that is going to cost me a pretty penny cuz those things have really gone up, gone <laughs> up even in value. Find one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I actually know a few people that have some of those cars, so I think there's a couple of places you can go to find one. You know, I had the Ingrams Cam and his father Robert on this show and they've got one of those. They've got a beautiful collection of Porsche's, so I could find one there. Uh, and there's a couple other folks out there that can get their hands on some. Uh now you want it do you want it all stocked? Do you want to do like a Rod Amory or a John Wilhoyt uh, customization
1: um i i would love to do an outlaw on emory style um yeah he, he is one of the most awesome designers that i've ever met in my life and and i and i have met him he is so brilliant at what he does and he's got this vision and nothing ever stops him at least yeah. you know from what i've in talking with him and watching his media and seeing his builds and it's like the last one he put out um i saw it sema two years ago and it's just like it blew me away So, yeah, yeah, that car that
0: he, are you talking about the 356 RSR that he took mm -hmm. to Lufticult? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you a little secret here, give you a little uh, scoop. Uh, Season two, Cars Yacht TV. We just agreed to do season two for Cars Yacht TV. And one of my guests is going to be Rod Emery. Oh. And uh, I've been to, I went to his shop. We shot this, the episode already. I got to drive an Outlaw 356. I will never drive a stock 356 anymore Uh -uh. after driving that thing. Uh, but we did get to sit in and play with that 356 RSR uh, that he built for Momo, uh, of which I've had the owner of Momo on this show as well. But uh, yeah, he does some amazing, amazing cars and builds. And of course, I got to toss in John Wilhoit because I bought a car from him. Uh, he does some incredible builds and restorations on 356 cars. So I think I'll have no problems finding yeah. you a, a pre-abit you know, window. If
1: you get the chance to do another TV interview down over with Mr. Emery, I would love to be your guest down over there and just sit in there and you watch go. because that there you go. Yeah. Amazing.
0: Yeah. He was a fun guy to spend a day with. Uh, we went to a shop down there in Los Angeles and got to play with his cars and see that how he does things. Amazing guy. You can go back listeners and find my talk with Rod Emery on the cars. Yeah. Website. Uh, just go back and uh, type in his name in the search bar. That'll pop up. Well, Spook, you've taken me on a great ride today, buddy. I knew this would be fun. I want to thank you for sharing your journey. Could you offer us a little parting piece of wisdom or guidance before you rip off into the sunset in that old three fifty six Porsche?
1: One of the lessons that my father taught me, and it's stuck with me the forty plus years. Don't be afraid to mess up, and when you do it, do it all the way. So if you're going to have, might have to edit this. You might be able to let this go. But the direct quote is: "Never do anything half ass. Always do it full ass." (laughs)
0: <laughs> there you go. I think we can keep that one in. I like that very, very much. Yeah, you can uh, do something wrong and have to redo it many, many times, but do it the right way the first time. How can people learn more about you at Air Cooled Customs and how can they get at their hands on a copy of your book?
1: Um, they can actually contact us on our website, which is www.aircooledcustoms.com. That's A-I-R-K-O-O-L-E-D-K-U-S-T-O-M-S dot com and there's a there's a link on our website in order to purchase a book you can purchase it through amazon you can purchase it from CarTech tech directly i think barnes and noble is also carrying it or you can subscribe to our youtube channel um we do the facebook thing we do the tweet it, uh, twitter thing we do instagram and we do a couple other social medias that my staff doesn't tell me about I, <laughs> I probably don't want to know and i wouldn't understand
0: there you go there you go well i'll put links to all these on his uh, Cars Yeah! show notes page so you can uh, get your hands on this. And of course, one lucky Cars yeah subscriber is going to win an autograph signed copy of this from me and from Eric. So I'll make sure I send that to you. But first, you've got to go to the Cars yeah website and click on the free book button. I'll send you my free filler-up book, and your name will be in the hat. Spook, thanks for being so generous today with your time and expertise and for sharing your many experiences with me and the listeners. Until you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. Good evening. You're welcome. You take care of your cars, but who takes care of your investments? Tune-ups aren't just for engines. Updating your financial plan is important too. Your GPS may take you from A to B, but it won't help you on the road to financial freedom. For that, you need a good co-pilot and a very trusted advisor. Member FINRA SIPIC. CK Financial Services is not affiliated with Money Concepts Capital Corp. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up.